The Bible reading today comes from Acts, it's chapter 4, and it's verses 1 through to 22. And it's titled, Peter and John Before the Council. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognised that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the men, man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. The man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Happy Mother's Day to those mothers out there. I hope you got spoilt at some point today. And children, I hope you were doing the spoiling. All right, thanks for reading that, Emily. Um, we're continuing on in our Acts series and today we're, we're just having a bit more of a look at Acts chapter 4. Acts 3 and 4 sort of go together, don't they? Um, before there were life hack videos on Facebook and YouTube, there was this thing called the Reader's Digest. Anyone remember that? And in one of the Reader's Digest books are called Extraordinary Things, Extraordinary Uses for Ordinary Things, uh, the book promises to open our eyes to 2,300 creative and helpful uses you can make with household products. Do you want some top tips today, some life hacks? Did you know 
Aspirin or baking soda can be used to control your dandruff. That's a good one. Uh, beer can be combed through your hair as a setting lotion. Here's a good one. Marshmallows. Do you know what you can do with marshmallows? That's what most people do with marshmallows. But according to the Reader's Digest, you use them for a pedicure. You pop them between your toes to separate your toes when you're painting, painting your toes with nail polish. <laughs> I agree with you there. Mayonnaise can be used as hair conditioner. Yeah, all right, yeah, bit of bit of agreement in the room for that one. Um, anyone here, you, you don't like to spend too much money on room service if you were to go to a motel or something? Hot tip here is if you pack a cheese sandwich in foil before you go, when you get to your hotel room, you can use the iron to make a cheese toasty. Well, I know some of you are going to try that, aren't you? You're going to try that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, here, is, here is my favourite, favourite one of all. Anyone here ever partial to a facial? Okay. A a anyone here have a cat? All right, you're winning because you can use cat litter to have a facial. So many very ordinary products out there, but such extraordinary uses. Today, God has extraordinary uses for ordinary people. Did you know that God advances his mission in the world using ordinary people who become extraordinary when they're filled with the Spirit? And throughout Acts, you'll have noticed that the main contributor in all of this is the Spirit, isn't it? Acts 1, what are we waiting for? The promise of the Spirit. Acts 1.8, anyone know Acts 1.8? I know Graham knows it. Acts 1.8. Brilliant. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, won't you? Uh, so Acts 2, the promised Spirit arrives. It fills the followers of Jesus. Acts 3 and 4, we see a miracle that and preaching done in the name of Jesus. And so today we're going to say, hey, speak Jesus, be extraordinary. And the main point in all of this is you need to be filled with the Spirit for that. You need to rely on the Spirit and, and, and that is how we are equipped for God's purposes. God fills ordinary people like you, like me, and we become extraordinary. We become extraordinary. Now, the reason you need to know this is because I think we, we get stuck. We get stuck thinking that it's actually about our natural limits and that our natural limits limit what God can do in and through us. I think some of us maybe have a belief that uh, we need to make ourselves a little bit more impressive before God's going to use us. I think sometimes some of us, we get jealous of other believers who seem to be more naturally gifted or blessed than we are. 
And we, we fall into this trap of being maybe jealous or maybe even being guilty. We fall into that guilt trap. We, we, we think, well, we get this self-talk that says, well, real believers should do this. Real believers will do that. As a Christian, I must do whatever. But today what I, I want to say to us is it's really okay to be ordinary. Just like Peter and John in, the, in Acts 4 that we just heard read. Because we're all ordinary, aren't we? You don't need to try somehow and stop being ordinary to be more impressive. But what you do need to do is take hold of the truth that you can receive the free gift of the promise of the Spirit and that it's by living in the power of the Spirit that you are going to become extraordinary. Now, extraordinary in your life is going to look different to extraordinary in my life, isn't it? And extraordinary in the life of the person sitting near you is going to look different to extraordinary in the life of someone sitting over the other side of the room. We're all different, aren't we? But let's have a look at this passage and see what we can glean from Acts chapter 4. Now, the authorities have a bit of a problem, don't they? They thought they dealt with this Jesus problem. They'd killed him, they'd crucified him, thought they'd quashed this this, uh, uprising. But this following appears to actually be gaining momentum. And this latest healing that's just happened, there's a real danger that followers of the way might actually become a bit of a mass movement. And so it's got all the leaders a bit stressed, a bit worried. And so they take hold of Peter and John and what do they do? They arrest them and they put them in jail. And the following day, we see them appear before these rulers in chapter 4. So verse 5 says, The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Sophias, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. Have a think about that group for a moment. Pretty impressive group, really isn't it? It's kind of like the who's who of Jerusalem. And so you think about it, you've got, you've got on one side, you've got these educated, well-dressed, powerful, elite rulers, priests, teachers, elders. They're the powerful ones, aren't they? Or at least in human terms. On the other side of the room, you've got Peter, and John, kind of just standing there, all on their own. They've got no title. They've got no education. They've got no wealth. They're very simply dressed. They're ordinary, common men, and they're not powerful, or at least not in human terms. Can you imagine how intimidating it would be to be Peter and John standing there? Can you imagine that? Verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? They're the ones with all the worldly power and they're like, where do you think you get your power from? Because we have a monopoly on the power. But they know that something undeniably significant and powerful has happened through Peter and John. But they can't quite make sense of it. That sort of power should lie with the religious elite, shouldn't it? They're the ones who follow God's law to the letter of the law. 
They're the ones who are in the know. They're the professionals, aren't they? But suddenly there's these ordinary people and they're doing extraordinary things. I haven't come across this before. I don't know how to handle this. Because what it does is it threatens the whole religious and political system of power in their society. What does Peter do? What's his answer? His answer is to tell them about Jesus. Hot tip, if you never know what to do in a situation, just tell people about Jesus. (laughs) Maybe not. Oh, I think that's a good response, don't you think? (laughs) Peter's answer is to tell them the message about Jesus, God's plan for salvation through Jesus. Now, their their response is interesting. Have a listen to this in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, these leaders, they're, they're looking at things from a human perspective, aren't they? That's why it doesn't make sense to them. That's why they're so confused about how these ordinary people could do something so extraordinary. They're looking at it from a human perspective. You know what? When you and I uh, look at our role in God's world, um, I think sometimes we look at it from a human perspective. When you think about uh, your ability to love people, your ability to share the gospel, your ability to pray for people, to live out your calling, to be obedient to Jesus, to grow in faith, to serve in the church or to be a blessing to your community. Too often, I think, we are thinking about life from a human perspective of power, a human perspective of success, a human perspective of ability, rather than from God's perspective on power and success and ability. Is that ever you? I sure know it's often me. Because we have this idea, we have this idea that it's smart people who are successful. Yeah? Do you ever notice that in our world? We think smart people are going to be the successful ones. Think about Elon Musk, entrepreneur, investor, business mandate, uh, magnate, big business person. Would you say he's smart? Would you say he's successful? Smart people, they're successful. That's how it works. We kind of think it's, it's only the rich people who can be powerful. Think about Donald Trump, all right? You know he has a net worth of about $3 billion? I'd say he's rich, wouldn't you? Yeah? Well, he was the president. He's a media personality, he's a businessman. I'm I'm telling you, you you don't get to be president unless you've got a bit of backing behind you. Rich people get power. What about education? Educated people we we think are influential. If you're highly educated, you you can influence others. Does anyone here know of Jordan Peterson? Mm Mm-hmm. He's a Canadian psychologist. Um, Wikipedia lists his occupation as psychologist, author, and internet personality. 
I don't know, you've made it when you, you're called an internet personality, I suppose. I don't know. He's very highly educated. So he actually has a degrees in political science, psychology. He's got a PhD in clinical psychology. And he's considered, quote, the most influential public intellectual in the Western world. Educated people are influential. Smart people are successful. Rich people are powerful. Educated people are influential. That's how we think because, because that's how the world works, isn't it? However... That's not how God's kingdom works, is it? Elon Musk is successful. Donald Trump might be powerful. Jordan Peterson might be influential. But you know, Peter and John, they're relatable, aren't they? They're relatable. Peter and John, they're just so darn ordinary, aren't they? Let's, let's just pause for a moment and remind ourselves how ordinary these two men really are. Let's think about Peter for a moment. You know, he, had, he was married. He had a wife. I don't know if you ever think about that. Not sure if he had children or not. He might have. By nature, he tended to be pushy, aggressive, fickle, unreliable. Sounds pretty ordinary. <laughs> he made promises he couldn't follow through with. Is that anyone here? <laughs> no. <laughs> he was outspoken. John MacArthur calls him the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. How would you like to be known as that? You, you'll notice in, in this chapter, in chapter 4, you'll notice Peter's the one who actually does all the talking. John's just kind of like this silent, mute person in the whole story, isn't he? Doesn't say a word. It's Peter. <laughs> Uh, Peter's occupation is a fisherman. So it's not an elite occupation, is it? It's not prestigious to be a fisherman. He's not well-educated. He's not rich. And you know what? He lets Jesus down like a lot. Is he feeling kind of relatable to anyone here today? Hmm? Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to go to the cross you know what happens? He asks the disciples to stay awake. What do they do? They fall asleep, don't they? And Jesus actually addresses Peter directly. He seems to be most disappointed in Peter, that, that Peter's fallen asleep. And he says, can't you stay awake for just one hour and pray? You want to do what is right, but you're weak. Anyone here ever feel like Jesus is addressing you, that same phrase? Can't you just stay awake one hour and pray? <laughs> no, Lord. I'm tired. I'm weak. What about the famous rooster crowing with Peter? Peter promises, I'm never going to let you down, Jesus. I'm going to go to jail for you. I'll die for you, Jesus. You know, I surrender all. No turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. What happens? Well, only a few hours later, he is so intimidated by the question of a young slave girl that he denies being one of Jesus' followers. And it happens three times, just like Jesus predicted. What about when Peter rebukes Jesus for Jesus' dodgy beliefs about suffering and being killed? Hmm? And then Jesus addresses Peter as Satan. He calls him Satan. I mean, I... 
I think the ultimate definition of not successful is when Jesus calls you Satan. Would you agree? Peter's pretty ordinary, okay? So is John. Think about John. He's also a fisherman. He's the quiet guy. Doesn't say much. As I said before, he's kind of like the silent ministry partner. Anyone here like to just be the silent ministry partner with someone? Yeah. yeah. Um, he gets rebuked by Jesus, though. So you just can't get away from it. There's a bit of Jesus rebuking happening here. He gets rebuked by Jesus for his judgmental, can I call down fire from heaven and consume them all? Kind of not so great idea. He lets Jesus down with the other disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. He runs away when Jesus gets arrested. He's ambitious. He's a bit self-seeking. He's part of that argument that the disciples had uh, about who's the greatest among them. It's Jesus, guys, come on. Um, He and his brother decide to come and ask Jesus to do whatever we ask of you. Can you imagine having the audacity to rock up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to do whatever we ask you to do. Um, And then they actually ask if they can sit next to him on his right and left in glory. And then they start this internal kind of argument and and, and row with the other ten disciples who get pretty angry and upset that they are trying to claim the best seat in eternity. It's a bit like siblings fighting over the front seat of the car, isn't it? They're just so relatable. They're so ordinary. They're so everyday. If you have a look in verse 13, you'll see that uh, the leaders notice that they are unschooled and ordinary men. They're the words that they used. Now, this doesn't mean they had zero education. It's not like these fellows were illiterate. It really just meant they didn't have formal rabbinic training. So it was a bit like they'd kind of been to Sunday school and youth group but hadn't gone to Bible college. Okay, so that's Peter and John. They've grown up in the church um, inverted commas there for anyone listening on the recording. Um, they've, they've grown up in, in, um, in the system, but they haven't had formal training. And, and basically, they're kind of like lay people. The implication in all that, though, is that these men should have been a bit ignorant. They should have been unimpressive. And yet here they were with these brilliant insights into the scriptures, explaining difficult things with just an amazing amount of boldness and authority, really. And, and really authority to perform miraculous acts of God that, that these highly educated, powerful, smart, brilliant leaders couldn't. I mean, these men didn't get to be leaders by being dumb. They were brilliant. They were the top of the top, the cream of the crop, so to speak. But here was fisherman John and fisherman Peter doing stuff that these men could never do. It was unexpected, it was astonishing, it just shouldn't happen. They should not be extraordinary. How can they be extraordinary like that? Well, as we said before, God advances his mission in this world using ordinary people who become extraordinary when they are filled with his spirit. Verse 8 when um, Peter speaks to answer the questions that they were asked. What does it say? It says there, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
You know, in the same way that the miracle in Acts 3 happened because of the promised power of the Spirit, Peter's defence and Peter's explanation about Jesus is also done in the fullness of the Spirit. Reminds me of Luke 12, 11 and 12. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And that's exactly what happened. So what do we need to know? Here's what you need to know. Ordinary people like you and you and me, we can't possibly do the things we're asked to do by Jesus. We can't possibly live the way we're asked to live as Christians. We can't. Unless, unless we are filled with God's power through the Holy Spirit. So stop trying to think that you need to make it happen on your own. Stop guilting yourself when you fail because that just means it's actually you that's been trying to do it. You can't do it. You are too ordinary. You need the Spirit. You know, I, I get sad when I, I see people who believe in Jesus. They, they know salvation but they don't understand what it means to to walk in the fullness of the Spirit as a person made new in Christ. The trials and the difficulties of life become overwhelming to them. They don't know what it is to tap into the river of life. Do you know what it is to tap into the river of life? Often Christians are perpetually hung up about their sin, their sinful nature, their inadequacies, their shortcomings, and they just walk this life of defeat and they are guilt-ridden. That's you. Stop it. Be filled with the Spirit and walk in the freedom of a new and bold and beautiful life. Does anyone here have a problem with patience. Only one person. You guys are walking in the fullness of the Spirit, aren't you? Really? Just one person? Who here has a problem with patience? Now I know who has a problem with lying. (laughs) All the people who didn't put their hand up have a problem with lying. It's a joke. Sorry. <laughs> Anyone here? Now, you don't have to put your hand up for the rest of the list. They get a bit more personal, all right? Just, I was just having fun with you there. But, you know, do you have a problem with anxiety or, or self-discipline or being hurtful or being judgmental, being overbearing, being angry? You know what? You need the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You need the Spirit. If you want to see love grow in your life, if you want to see peace, patience, kindness, if you want to see generosity flow out of your life and faithfulness, if you want to see gentleness part of your life and self-control, what are they? They're the fruits of the Spirit, aren't they? Do you struggle with fear or worry? Do you lack confidence? Do you wonder if you're loving enough? 
Do you find you lack the moral strength to do what is right in a situation or to have control over your passions and your desires or over just maybe your apathy and your laziness? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the spirit God gave us doesn't make us timid. It gives us power and it gives us love and it gives us self-discipline. What are the solution to all those struggles? The spirit that God gives us. When it comes to the mission and life of a believer that we see in Acts or that we see in Australia in 2022, the solution is going to be the same. It's the Holy Spirit. How is life in our church community going to work? By the power of the Spirit, isn't it? How will we be able to speak Jesus into a hostile and disbelieving world? By the power of the Spirit. How will people be healed from disease or set free from sin? By the power of the Spirit. The Spirit takes you from ordinary and like everybody else to extraordinary. I'm telling you. This world needs extraordinary people. Do you agree? So how do we get the spirit? How do we become extraordinary? I know you know. I know you know. But let let me remind you. It's our three circles. The world is broken, isn't it? But that's not what God intended. He made the world good. But with the free will we were given, we turned our back on God and his ways. And this led us into brokenness and separation from God. And we try and escape that brokenness in all sorts of ways, but our attempts just snap us back into brokenness like a big bungee cord. But God's love is so great for us that he had a plan to free us from all that. And that plan involved Jesus dying on our behalf and being raised to life. And anyone who trusts in Jesus as king and turns back to God, God promises to forgive us, fill us with his spirit, and make us new people. And so it's in his spirit, uh, it's his spirit that frees us from this brokenness, allowing us to live in perfect relationship with God now and forever. And so the beauty of all this is that the Christian life and mission is not up to us. It's God's job. I often find I can be talking to people um, and they might come to me with some sort of issue or or problem that's happening. And often that I tell you what that issue or that problem or what's sort of churning for them is, is so big, I just don't know where to start. It's kind of like this big knotted ball of string and I've got no idea how to untangle and I know there are people here who are great at untangling things I tell you what it's not me and I just don't know what wisdom I'm going to bring them I don't know what I'm going to say I don't know how I'm going to bring freedom to them but I've been in that situation enough to know I just need to pray quietly in my head and to wait and I know that eventually the Holy Spirit brings some wisdom. He brings me a word or a thought or a scripture or or some way of of navigating this. And I tell you what, the the number of times that that happens is is extraordinary. And, And the freedom that comes in that moment when the Holy Spirit just drops that pearl of wisdom in there, the freedom that comes for that person 
is extraordinary. From guilt to free in a moment. And I know it's not me because I'm just not that clever. I'm the bucket. He's the water. I'm the vessel. He's the substance. I'm the jar. He's the treasure. I'm ordinary. And I tell you what, the more I journey with God, the more okay I actually am with being ordinary. I actually really like ordinary. I'm very comfortable with ordinary. But when I'm filled with the Spirit, I become extraordinary. So the question I have for you is where are you living? Are you part of that ordinary, broken world? Or, or are you living the extraordinary life? Do you want to live differently to how you're living right now? I'd say, what's stopping you living that extraordinary life? Because it's not God stopping you, is it? It's not his lack of love for you or his lack of power or his lack of willingness to pour into your life. Maybe what's stopping you is you haven't yet really turned back to God. Maybe you haven't yet made Jesus the leader of your life, the centre of your life. Or maybe you have done that, but at some point along the way you've kind of wrestled that crown back off Jesus' head and back onto your own. And you've been trying to live in your own strength or in your own ways. You somehow have, have, have thought that it depends on you. Perhaps you need a refilling of the power of the Spirit. You need to take some time, maybe a season, to rededicate your time to him and, and, and perhaps you need to set aside some time regularly each day or each week just to be nourished in his presence and, and maybe you need to put in some spiritual routines that have been crowded out from the busyness in your life. Perhaps you're sitting here today and there's some, some doubt or disbelief or even some hurt that's kind of blocking that flow of the spirit in your life. And maybe you need to ask God to deal with those things. Maybe you're sitting here and you're just kind of lacking faith that, that he will actually fill and empower you. And, and perhaps the prayer that's sitting on your heart today is, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. What's stopping you living an extraordinary life in Christ? You know what I want to invite us to do in a moment? We'll put some music on. I'd like you just, before we head off for that cuppa, I'd like you just to take a few moments to just stop and ask, what's stopping me living that extraordinary life? Maybe it's one of the things I've listed. Maybe it's something else. And I'm going to invite you to just write, write it down on a piece of paper. I've got some paper there. Maybe... Maya and Talia, would you hand some paper out for us? Would you come and just give me a hand? Come here. I've got it down the front here. Just on the red folder there. Thanks, girls. Yeah, red folder. In there, there's some pencils and paper. Just offer those to, to whoever wants something. So you don't, you don't have to do this, but I think it's really helpful to actually reflect and actually write it down. It makes it concrete for us instead of this 
something. And then I just want to invite you um, to just pray. Invite God into whatever that is that's stopping you living that spirit-filled, spirit-flowed, extraordinary life. And, and if you'd like to, as a, as a symbol of just releasing that to Jesus, um, if you'd like to pop it in that basket, screw it up and stick it in that little basket I've got down the front of the, of the room there, and, and as a symbol of just handing that over to Jesus. If you'd like to keep it and take it home with you, then that's okay too.